On this episode of the podcast, we're talking about storytellers in the church. There is a theory that suggests that human beings are natural storytellers and that a good story is more convincing than a good argument. Jesus was the perfect example of someone who put narrative at the forefront of his ministry. He often told parables and stories as a way for people to understand the Father's heart for his children. Even in the midst of being challenged by those who didn't agree with him, Jesus was ready with a story rooted in love and to help unify people. Today, the church is still a collection of storytellers, but have we gotten off the beaten path of what our narrative is supposed to be? So, turn up and tune in as we talk about narrative paradigms in the church, right here on The Mountain Podcast. Now we're in it, Sam. Cool. Now we're in it. Can I say I disagree with everything you just said and start arguing with you right off the bat? Yes. Just as a joke? (laughs) (laughs) So, dude, we're talking about narrative. Narrative is one of these things that, like, you really love to talk about. Yeah, you you want me to talk about narrative, but I just want to argue with you for the next twenty <laughs> minutes about whatever. Honestly, perfect. What if what if my argument was or my counterpoint to whatever you argue was? All right, think of this: there are three little pigs. One pig made his house out of sticks. The other out of a bale of hay. The other out of brick house. I wasn't sure if you're going to go to this little piggy. Went to the market. I didn't know if you were going to do that, but you did the... Three Little Pigs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, that narratives and stories are are so important for our personal life, but also for our communities and our nations and our, our worldwide expression. Uh, but they're especially important because we see that our entire foundation as Christians or believers is based on a really, really big an involved story between God and man over the entire history of this thing. Yeah. Narrative is such a journey with everything, with life. I really think that narrative is like the, is is super essential to human beings. Um, We've got such great storytellers throughout the history Mm. of existence and in in many mediums. What would you say is your favorite narrative medium that you, uh, you really cling on to that? It's like, I really grab onto the way they, they tell me something. I really love movies. That's the easiest. Um, I, I wish I could say that I liked books more than movies. That sounds smarter, (laughs) but it isn't the case. (laughs) I love movies. I've, I've seen some really great narratives and books of course, in the written narrative delivery, uh, the visual is so profound to me because it can have so many layers. It could be what's being said, but also what's being shown. And that's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. Uh, but I think probably the underrated one for me would be uh, photography. 
uh, and or like some still art and those things, whether it be painted or digital photography or even digital art, some of these things can have those still pictures can allow you to meditate and, and ponder in a different way to capture meaning or to experience it impacting you emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Yeah. For me, it's, uh, I don't It's stand up comedy. Really? That's great. Yeah. These guys, who's your favorite stand up comedian? Bro, that's so hard. Is it? That is so hard. Um, uh, Robin Williams has to definitely rank up there. He's great. I think he's top three for me. Yeah. Um, I love Dana Carvey. I love the way he pieces things together. And his impersonation. His impersonation. And, and then he recalls things that happened a lot. Um, Don Rickles. That's pretty cool. Don Rickles is another one. He's a legend. Yeah. I mean, he would just rip on people in the audience. <laughs> and it was so funny. Like, But that's what was interesting about him is like his narrative among the people he was around and the people who loved him and even people from the outside, they knew that he was a lovely person. But his shtick was uh, ripping on people. Yeah, he was a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't really a jerk. Yeah. So I find that complexity in like... That's really cool. In, in stand-up comedians to be very, very interesting because they could be talking about one thing, but their narrative as a person is completely different. That's cool. So yeah, stand-up comedians happen to be my favorite way of, of narrative. Um, That's interesting because... You look at the way comedians do it versus typical storytellers and a comedian tries to find the humor, or the laugh in life to tries to find that angle or that little bit of life. That's, that's funny. And there's something really interesting about choosing to laugh because it is sometimes a choice to find humor in the midst of difficult situations or, or whatever your story is unfolding to be to laugh at things that could be painful or that could be hurtful. Um, and sometimes just choosing to laugh, choosing to find that joy angle and, and kind of choosing that storyline, it is actually helpful to not fall into traps of like hurt or getting stuck. It just lets you move on. Yeah. You know, it's definitely a coping thing. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> is. Comedians have a hard time. They like to bottle things down. Yeah. It's yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> It's yeah. fun. Um, but moreover, so we like all these different sort of styles of narrative, but I've noticed in the church that there are different, there seems to be different narratives in the church. Why? Wow. Well, I think when you rally your <clears throat> story around some ideas or some theological differences, then you get some really strong divisions of narrative, um, whether it be the charismatic or the seeker sensitives. As an example, you have you have distinguishing theological differences, and when you make that such a, a heavy part of your rhetoric or your tone and your narrative, then it's going to differentiate you from another Christian body. It'll cause a separation um, of understanding of, of practice. And that is a little bit hard to get away from at times because of how much it impacts, say, a church service. And you just look at that simple entity practice that we all understand, which would be a church service as Christians. And from Catholics to Charismatics, there's really big differences uh, of the ritual of it, of the pace of it, of the volume of it. And I've experienced Catholic masses. 
I've experienced Catholic masses in French, which is really, <laughs> I don't understand French. So that was really uh, fun. Well, you went to a Catholic school. Yeah. Yeah, Bishop Gorman. Yeah. Home of the uh, national champions of, in baseball, of everything. football, not in basketball. Well, whatever they could afford. Yeah. But the important thing is, is that you you went to a Catholic school and you uh-huh. had to go to those chapels and you grew up sort of in a charismatic home. It wasn't the money. It was that God was with us, Don. Uh-huh. That's what, it, <laughs> that's what it was. And then, yeah, so then I went to a Catholic school. <laughs> How was that? And what about it? How was that? I mean, growing up in a charismatic environment and then going to that, because you'd have to go to chapel, right? Yeah, once a month. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Father Ed. And Father, oh man, what was, uh, what was the first guy's name? I can't remember. Really great guy. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, they really were. I won't, I won't try anything too hard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, it was, uh, there, there, it was positive. Like, I do find that most Christian church services are at the very least well, I think a lot of them try and be positive or have positive impact, even if they had a negative topic for the day. So I think that a lot of people have positive intentions. They want to make a positive impact. They, some might experience it and feel like, ah, that's not, that's not good. And that's can totally be their opinion. But if you just look at that practice, I mean, we've all experienced some different churches. Some would say they've experienced churches that were on fire. Some would say, man, that church is dead or that church is black, or that church is white, or that church is multiracial or charismatic, or it's too short, the worship's not spirit-filled enough, or the worship is too long. You know, we've heard all of these things. Uh, It's so tough. People have a hard time understanding the beauty in each expression. expression. I've been to Mother's Day, a Father's Day, a wedding, a funeral, Uh and a baptism. Okay. In the Greek Orthodox Church. Wow. Um, my cousin is Jared. He's Greek Orthodox. He's baptized okay. in yeah. the Greek Orthodox faith. And it is, I mean, it's beautiful. Did you make the joke? Did I make the what joke? The joke that everyone might want to make when they visit a Greek church. Hopa? No, it's oh. all Greek to me. Did you make it? I don't know that that's a thing. What's the line then? It's all Greek to me? Yeah. I've never heard that. Are you serious? I've never heard that. Don, you need to get cultured, man. Keep going. You've experienced all five. <laughs> and it was there was such a beauty in them. Yeah. Um, the Out of them, the most beautiful was watching my cousin get, get baptized. baptized. Yeah. Um, they had, uh, it was a very private service, um, and it was in the this beautiful church. Cathedral. All these like great murals and stained glass and he was brought into this tub yeah not a tub a marble bath wow yeah and wearing black clothes yeah and all sorts of oils were dipped into the water wow yeah it's interesting and um and he was dunked three times to represent the trinity Oh, that's awesome. And it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. And then afterwards they go into a room, they talk to the priest, all this stuff. And it's a long process. It's like an eight week process in order for you to get better six to eight week process from what I can recollect. And then afterwards he comes out and he's wearing white Mm -hmm. to signify he's new man. He's no longer what he was before, but that the Holy spirit totally made him clean. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh. How cool. 
this is a this is so beautiful. Yeah. And there are moments where I've been to a Greek church where I'm like, yeah, come on, pastor, that's good. And yeah. people are like, they looked at you like slowly, like the people that are around me. I'm like, like oh hit. snap, this is not, hey, bro. <laughs> this is not that kind of service. You need to get the memo. Yeah. This is not yeah. that kind of service. Yeah. My bad. My bad. I feel Holy Ghost in here though. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is doing a new thing. It is interesting. I mean, I, I and I have been to a, a great variety of church cultures and services. And in some ways, I think the diversity of practice is really beautiful. And I think it's the hostility to diversity that becomes a problem. So if you express the story of Jesus in a way that's really different than me, like more emotional or higher music and things like that, um, if I have a hostility to the way you express it and I'm aggressive about it, I'm frustrated about it, I'm, I'm even possibly volatile about it, um, then I think that ends up being the problem and what causes division. And, I, and I'm not saying that you, you need to go to that community and be a part of it, um, but I'm, I am saying I think that there is an embrace in our heart that's really important for us as Christians to practice, that uh, all walks of Christian style, because this stuff is just style. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So much of it's style. Uh, there's some things that people would point at that go, well, that's a really important theological thing. Um, and I understand that for sure. I'm speaking to stylistic differences right now and how we interpret and or partner with people that have a different style, a different expression, and that we still embrace the fact that they're telling the story of Jesus, that they love God, they love people. And that's really the most important thing about all of it. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. I had a conversation at a wedding maybe a year or two years ago with somebody I knew who was a mutual friend, not a mutual. Yeah. It was a mutual friend of the whole wedding party. And they had asked me if I still went to the church that spoke tongues. Yeah. And I, I didn't say anything cause they were still talking. They were like, like tongues. What's that? They were, someone else was in the conversation. They're like, they just say crazy things and they just have gibberish come out of their mouth. It's like a yeah. cult, honestly. And then they yeah. looked at me like, so do you still go there? I was like, yeah, I work there. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, sorry. And in my mind, I didn't, I didn't get defensive. Yeah. I didn't go, how dare you think that we are a cult? And we're, blah, blah, blah. but in my mind, I, I went, Oh no. Like, what did we do to make them think that that's what we're doing? Yeah. Well, and that's really interesting because I, I mean, I grew up in the church, right? I grew up in the church that practiced that. And I've always really thought it was funny to me that we so highlighted that aspect of the Holy Spirit interaction. Yeah. And, and I'm not even trying to make a statement about importance, significance, theological correctness. I'm not even trying to make that at all as much as the emphasis we put on things, if that makes sense. That's so interesting. Yeah. So like in church community, uh, how much emphasis you put on something is makes it very curious to me. So if your emphasis is on financial giving, and that's like the high the highest point of emphasis in your church service or on tongues or gifts of the spirit or on preaching the word. I find it really interesting that certain church uh, sections or demographics or areas kind of have this, like we are this kind of a community and it's like a certain expression or a certain highlight that they're like, this is what we are known by. And this is what marks us as different. And I find that to be a, an interesting pattern for the church at large to practice, that we become known by what differentiates us rather than what is common to us. Well, what, what, what the story we're telling. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're telling a story about, okay, this is what makes me different. Come to my church, you get Holy Spirit. 
This is what makes me different. Come to my church and we preach the word. And so it's interesting to me that this almost becomes like a trumpet point for us as communities to say, hey, come to our church. This is what makes us different. And this is what, hey, this is kind of what makes us better too. You know, and we kind of like, that's the kind of low key part of it for us. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a damaging approach for us. Oh, I agree. In cities. Oh, I agree. Because there have been people that ask me, hey, do you still go to the same church? And I go, yeah. And then they usually follow up with something like, oh, I stopped going. I started going to another church. Sure. And to me, I'm like, that's awesome. And when they tell me the church, I'm like, even more awesome. That pastor's amazing. I hope you get everything you need out of there. Like, Except for that one church. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the Church of Turtle. Turtle. Turtle Church. Turtle, turtle, turtle Churches. Two Turtle Dove Churches. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I, and I think maybe because we've grown up in church, yeah, we've probably. heard and experienced a great deal of trumpeting the difference. Doing what makes what? us better as a... <laughs> Doing what? Trump? Did you say Trump? That's right. Trumpeting. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the stop by. I gotta go. Drive okay. by Trump. <laughs> I think that's what's interesting to me is that we we really trumpet these differences, uh, and I think sometimes leadership can feel like it's what is the growth plan. So if I could tell them what makes is different about me and why they should stay and be a part, something I can offer them that others can't. And I think that's a little bit of a misconcept of how we're supposed to lead and or how we're supposed to champion church culture in a unified way. Hmm. So maybe we can, as churches, tell a story and tell a story about our interconnection in a way that's like, these are the things that are beautiful and common to us and, uh, and make it about loving Jesus and loving people. Yeah. I think that'd be a beautiful thing. Oh, I agree. I think there's something really, um, now I want to get more based on the individual person the personal, sharing yeah. narrative. Um, it's not easy sharing your story. Yeah. At some point in your life, it's not going to be easy. Sure. And other for other people at other moments, it will be. That's fine. You can do that. Yeah. It's very, that's podcast. Sure. Enjoying a beverage. Um, I, I've noticed that, you know, there's people who are like, um, my story is boring or I don't have anything to give and I, I find that when you have a hard time releasing narrative, it's it's actually more not more or less not you being a quote unquote good storyteller, but it's actually a courage issue. Right. And then it's a fear issue that's happening. Like you're not able to tell your story because you're afraid of what the outcome might be. You're afraid that A, no one's going to like your story. B, you have nothing to offer. C, because I can't think of anything after B. <laughs> I always hate it when I say I've got three things about this and it's a spontaneous three points and yeah. two come out and I realize the third one's kind of redundant. Yeah. 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 But courage, what can you say is the best way to approach having courage to tell your narrative? Hmm. Well, Gideon tore down the altar of Baal while he was afraid. That's why he did it at night. And so I, I think that maybe it's not so much about trying to have the absence of fear but choosing to engage in this is who God is in my life and this is what he's done and telling that story intentionally because sharing your witness is an important part of your faith and your growth as a Christian. 
Um, unfortunately, for those that don't want to give or haven't become inclined to or gotten in the habit of giving and sharing, um, your growth can't just happen by receiving. And that's the, that's the I believe it's a beautiful aspect of Christianity, um, but that's also the challenging aspect of Christianity is that we grow not only in receiving, but also in giving. And both of those things grow us in unique ways. And so giving the peace of what God's done in us is really important. On whatever scale it is, one, a thousand, two hundred, ten, doesn't matter. But being very intentional to share the story that God has developed in you. You've always been someone, now I've known you for a long time, 23, something years, a long time. And you've always been a guy that has always been, in Since growing garden, right? Yes. Mrs. Ears? Yes, Mrs. Yeah. Ears class. Yeah. Um, but you've always been the kind of guy that was, you played things really close to the chest. Mm. Not someone who's really ready to give. Uh, me, I'm like, my heart is on my sleeve. Here it is. I want to go to the doctor. I need to, yeah. <laughs> Dad joke. Dad joke. Um, but you're the kind of guy that's really, you're not closed off. I'll say that. You used to be closed Just off. Just say it, Don. I'm emotionally constipated. You are. <laughs> but you're not someone who really like reveals everything because you're sort of like you're quiet and you're laid back and you, you kind of assess the situation. You know, you're a chess player. You like to play chess. Um, you like to see the whole board before making any moves. Right. Um, but I've noticed that in your, uh, I don't want to say development, but for lack of a better term, development as a, uh, as a pastor and as a community leader, you have, you have really grown into like really a giving. Like sharing my, my, who I am, where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What changed? Well, I think that the, what I didn't want to do and what I still don't want to do is to flippantly say, this is how I feel and this is who I am. Because sometimes the first feeling out of your mouth, especially in an emotional situation, isn't really accurate. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's frust- You're frustrated. You're angry. You're upset. You come down off the wall or you come down off the, your high horse and you get down and you're like, all right, ah, I don't actually feel that way. Yeah. So I've always felt like in that moment of really strong emotion, it wasn't always the best idea to say what you thought. And it wasn't always the most true to what you actually felt about that person or the situation. So I think in the moment, it can be really wisdom to temper and control your tongue like it talks about in James. But um, I think that when you're in a place of you, okay, I, I, I see where I'm at. I've measured it. I, uh, I see I see who God is. I see where I'm at. To be really honest with where you're at in the process, even before completion. I think sometimes people only want to share their, their journey once it's over. And their process once it's over. So I struggled with this and now I don't. I'm free. I've been free for a year. And that's not a bad thing to share at that moment. But in the midst of your journey saying, uh, what's really beautiful to me is that I've wrestled with this. God's spoken this to me. And I'm on a walk right now. And this is where I'm at. I've grown some ways. I still wrestle in these areas. And sometimes you ask for advice. Sometimes you just share with people to let them know that, that this is just a part of the Christian walk. It's being transformed. It's the continual act of I'm, I'm, I'm clay in the hands of the potter. And I'm really comfortable with that journey. 
not yet complete and always being worked on. And I love it. It's part of my identity is that I love being worked on with God yeah. and him working on me. And you're a good storyteller too. Really? You've gotten better. You've gotten much better. I mean, you've always been somewhat of a good storyteller, but like yeah. you've really like stepped into your own. If you haven't already, go back and listen to some of the sermons we have here on the podcast. We just got done with a series, uh, or we're getting done. We're wrapping up a series on water walkers. Water walker. And it's really, 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 really good. So go check that out if you haven't already. Texas water walker ranger. But what I've loved about this series so far that you've done was you've had, you've great, you've told great stories in this and it's kept me more engaged yeah. as I listen to you speak. Um, talk a little bit about that. Like, w- w- was that intentional or were you just kind of like, this is where I'm naturally going? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've studied and we've all studied like the impact of stories and uh, the narrative of the Bible. It's seen as a story. I read this really cool book for my master's. Uh, It was The Drama of Scripture by Craig Bartholomew. So if anybody wants to check it out, it's really awesome. I think it's a textbook, technically. I got the digital version of it, so I'm not sure. But um, it was really cool because it basically just showed and and said, okay, the story of the Bible, it's a narrative between God and mankind. And mankind's plight has typically been this, like, desire for autonomy, this desire and this, this motive and this motivi- motivation to being independent. You see Tower of Babel, you see Adam and Eve eating from the fruit that would cause them to have the... So there's these many moments in the Bible where you see the stories highlight an overarching theme, which was that God has desired connection relationship with man, and that man's greatest sins have been ones that were... Uh, expressions of disconnect or autonomy, choosing their own will, their own path instead of God's. So the whole Bible is this really beautiful narrative of God seeking to make covenant relationship and man sometimes succeeding in that and sometimes failing horribly. And as I began to realize how much that concept really impacts me all the time and how much I see God as a God who's partnering in my story to grow me and such, I've realized that it's actually one of the best ways for us to learn in community, which is to, within individual points or ideas or teachings, express a story that relates. And we've seen this skill in communication for some time. Um, but it's something I think that really, if you, especially if you're, if you're having good stories that have meaning, um, then I think they're, they're really helpful to, to retention of idea and also to letting those concepts be deeper impact than just, I have an idea, live for Jesus. But then if you tell a story about what that looks like, the emotional characters in it and what that journey was, it hits a little bit harder in terms of impact. What's your favorite narrative in the Bible? Mm. I know I have one. Really? What's yours? Mine's David. Why? I think he danced. Yeah. Cause <laughs> uh, David to me is like the perfect example. We have many examples. We have like Moses was, he represented freedom and taking people out of freedom yeah. and into a promised land. Into a desert. Um, yeah, for 40 years. <laughs> um, and then, you you know, Jesus, obviously Savior. Solomon was someone who was wisdom. Uh, so there's all these different types of stories and they have these different things. But to me, David is like, he covers a multitude. Yeah. Because you got a, a boy, 
a boy with responsibility and being a shepherd. Yeah. Someone who defeats an army and then is anointed king and then has to try and not die from the people who were his predecessors because they were trying to kill him. Yeah, absolutely. So he's learning to restrain and have patience for his time to come. Yeah. And then while he's there, now he's king. Oh, yeah. Saw, and he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. he's ruling over a kingdom. Yeah. He falls into temptation, comes out of temptation. He's a man after God's own heart, still above everything. Yeah. And then he passes on, and then you see legacy with him yeah. and passing everything off, knowing that his son Solomon... He's fantastic. Yeah, knowing that his son Solomon was going to be the one to build the temple, not him, because yeah. he knew his son would have more wisdom than he would. He's a man of peace, yeah. Yeah, to me, David is like the guy. He's like the guy I'm like, oh, man. Oh, that's a good choice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of cliche. I'm not, you know, I don't know. It's like sure. saying Michael Jordan's my favorite player. Sure. You know what I mean? But I think... I like, like, the Luke Waltons of the world. You know what I mean? Five championships. Well, yeah, and didn't, you know, do much. Like, <laughs> So Enoch's my favorite character in the really? Bible. Really? And there's literally, like, five verses about him. And he just walked with God for a really long time and then was no more. God took him. I don't know. I, to me, there's so much packed into the concept that somebody could be so deeply connected on earth to God um, and walk with him so profoundly that he was just, he literally, you know, proverbially walked into heaven or literally walked into heaven, essentially. That's, I thought to me that I loved it so much because there was so much imagination that was allowed to it because it's such a, there's not a detailed story of what happened. You're like, that's so amazing. What did his life look like? What did he say? What did, how did he talk? What did he look like? Did people see him? Or did he just kind of like, just like, yeah, Enoch, man, we haven't seen him for 30 years. And then he'd show up again and say like five words, everyone cries. And then he goes again. <laughs> There's so much in there that was like, you, you don't know about his journey. So I think I've always liked mystery too. And so when they, when they say the few passages about Enoch that they did, I was like, that's incredible. That's cool. That's amazing. So it's it's a very short narrative. Yeah. But a man that walked with God, yeah. and then God was just like, yeah, we're buddies, so I'm just going to, you're my guy. Yeah. I'm going to take you up now. Jesus was somebody who, I said in the intro, was a, Is it bad that we didn't choose Jesus as our favorite narrative? <laughs> I think it's because it's a we're little- We're not spiritual. <laughs> it's a little too cliche. I, yeah, it's almost like, choose someone besides Jesus, right? Kind of a vibe? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but- on the subject of Jesus, because <laughs> Jesus, um, he was a guy that was constantly telling stories mm-hmm. and he was only 33 years old. Yeah. That's amazing to me. Yeah. Imagine having that many stories at 33. Yeah. All right. Check this out. So <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> parables. Yeah. yeah just man. All the parables and stories. And he would use them to argue with people. He never used. And it was like in such a loving way. It was never like. You're wrong. Here's how you're yeah. wrong. Here's how I know you're wrong. Check yeah. this out. Point, point, point. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. like, I want to tell you a story about what the father's saying. Right. It illustrates. Yeah. And when you illustrate, it's different than fighting. Yeah. It's painting a picture. It's showing people a vision. Yeah. And the Bible talks about there is no vision that people perish. So I think that storytelling and creating that visual and developing that, that thing that people could see, you know, storytelling is a way of kind of giving visual to with words I think that's that's really beautiful. I think it breathes life. Yeah. I think it, it rallies people, it motivates and mobilizes people. And uh, we we do home discipleship here at the mountain. But when I talk about it, I don't just say, hey, we have home discipleship come on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights. 
But what I say is, that, look, there's this story that's existed, there's a vision that's existed in, in my heart in this community. And it's to see houses of prayer and discipleship all over this city. And then, it, and then when you talk about it in that way, to see a vision of houses of fire and prayer and discipleship, it changes the tone of why we're doing this. Right. And that's what I was going to ask. I was yeah. like, okay, then why? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when you get that why, it really requires you to, to have a narrative to it. Yeah. Have a cause. Have a, have a purpose in it. And uh, those are, I think, some of the most beautiful stories is this is the story that's unfolding. I'd like to invite you to be a character in it. Yeah. I think that's why I have such a hard time right now in the political process. Last night, there was the Democratic debate. They had 10 of the 24 Democrats that are running for president Mm -hmm. in 2020 up there. You watched it? I did watch it. I didn't get a chance to watch it. You wouldn't have watched it. I was praying (laughs) and studying the Bible. (laughs) But I'm watching this and I'm thinking, the whole time I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this is, great, what's your narrative? Right. Great. I feel like I just watched Twitter come to life. Great. What is your narrative? Because you're saying all the things that people want to hear, and there's a lot of placating going on, but I don't get the narrative of what you're trying to say. And that's overall in politics. We see a lot of it. It's like, I'm going to say what you want me to say. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And there's no narrative that's attached to it. Yeah. But what bothers me is that there's there's no narrative that's being spoken. And I see it a lot on social media. There's no narrative of what people are saying it's just talking points and it's a lot of anger and it's a lot of vitriol and like spewing and like blah it's like you guys don't actually have a narrative you're just saying something because it gets the likes or it gets attention or it gets whatever but like what do you believe in what do you what what story are you telling what are you what are you trying to communicate to us then i guess at that point you'd have to ask am i going to be uh, the type of individual that reacts to a point or to many points and arguments, or am I the type of individual that's going to, to believe in something and then try and paint a picture and rally people to it? Yeah. And I think there's a difference in being somebody who fights something and argues something and somebody who has a belief. So even if you had a belief that was political, um, I, or that had some some version of political like world impact, uh, then then I, I think possibly what it would look like is is being the kind of person to carry the this is what I, I I believe in, and this is what I think we can do in the world to make it a better place. And I, I you know politicians will have their their studies and their demo studies and all these kinds of things so I'm by no means a, a political consultant at all and wouldn't try and be um, so it's not necessarily my advice for them but I think it is for just a person you know, people influencers to have to have a uh, I think a persona and initiatives that are rooted in a belief a positive impact belief not just a counter belief like, I believe something different than you, so let's fight about our beliefs. But like, hey, it's something I believe, and it's positive. It'll help the world. It'll grow the world. And I think that's an important uh, focus yeah. to have. Because you'll have your disagreements. Oh, without a doubt. You'll have your things you disagree with. But choosing to, I think, speak to positive impact initiatives is really important. I agree. Well, we're just about out of time here. Um, 
so narrative, if you could leave anything to anyone right now about their narrative and their walk and their journey, what would it be? I think, I think it's so important that the way you, you see your history, the story that's been told about you've told about yourself and you've believed about yourself as a character up to this point. I think it's really important that every person really brings that whole storyline before Jesus and allows them to really illuminate it and expand it and enhance it. And, um, in, and if it's, <coughs> if it's distorted, to create clarity, if it's deceived to create truth. I think it's really important that we take our stories and bring them before Jesus so that he can have a major impact on authoring a really healthy, good That's one. great. Folks, you all have a story to tell. It's up to you whether or not you want to go after and get it and tell it to the world, but ultimately you have a story to tell. Sam, thanks for being on, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Love this you, is man. fun. We had some technical difficulties beforehand, but we got the ball rolling here. Oh, yeah. And we made it happen. Yeah. Huh? We're here. So if you haven't already, please uh, subscribe to this podcast. Tell all your friends about it. Uh, we hit a new monthly goal. No, monthly record. Yeah. Monthly record. We hit uh, another... So I just want to say thank you guys that are sharing, subscribing, getting other people to listen around the world. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, But yeah, until next time, my name is Donovan. And I'm Samuel Goulet. And we will talk to you guys next time right here on The Mountain Podcast. Peace.